Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Actually, uh, I, I didn't get up to speak until like 11.05 over in uh, Glendale. And so, I know, right? So I had like 25 minutes. I told them if they wanted the final two points, they had to buy the premium version on my website. So I had a couple people that did. That was nice. Just kidding. I'm Rob. Good to see you guys. Uh, my wife, uh, Connie, and I moved here. June will be eight years. We've lived here. Uh, hard to believe, isn't it, babe? Uh, still feel new. Uh, we love it here. Uh, I'm honored to speak. Um, I, I'm thankful to be in Southern California. Uh, not for the weather. That's been horrible lately. Better in Florida where I'm from. But okay, you know, it'll get better, right? We need the rain, they say, Chris. <laughs> Anyway, uh, if, you, uh, if you see my wife get up during the sermon and leave, she's not mad at me or offended by anything that I say, okay, just so you know that. Uh, she probably has to leave a little bit early to, she's flying out today to take her mom uh, back to Florida. For those of you guys that know, some of you have been praying, and thank you for your prayers, and if I could be selfish for a moment which is not unusual for me at all, uh, I would ask you to, to pray for my wife uh, today. Uh, Connie's mom has uh, dementia, and uh, it's been you know pretty challenging time. She's been in a rehab here because she fell and hurt herself, broke her arm, and so she's going to be flying back, and they're actually going to do a little fling at Disney uh, together, and then Connie's going to take her to a, a rehab center, and she's going to be reunited with her husband, Connie's dad, husband of 56 years or something. Um, and they haven't seen each other for like three months, so please pray for her. Anyway, I'm so proud of my wife. I mean, she is uh, just incredible and has handled this whole situation with a lot of grace uh, and nothing but respect for you, baby. So there you go. That's that. And now there's me. You got me. Chris mentioned it. Next week is March, right? So, we're in the last week of February. That means that almost two full months of the year have gone by. See how I did the math there? Did you see that? Quick. That's right. That's that business mind just going. Always going. Roughly 15% of the month is gone. I read an article in U.S. News and World Report about two weeks ago that by the first week of February, 80% of you who set New Year's resolutions have already failed. Congratulations! Probably the other 20 have failed in the next two weeks or so. So what do you do? Well, you don't set them, of course, right? Can't fail at a goal that you don't have, Chris. That's obvious. Actually, I I do things a little bit different. I set goals rather than New Year's resolutions. Like every year I have goals in kind of four main categories, health, uh, financial, personal, spiritual. So like health revolves around my weight. You know, yeah, i got to have a goal at least, right? Otherwise, man, it really get out of control. Uh, working out, things like that. Um, you know, financial, I want to save a certain amount of money, getting older, right? I uh, eventually... I imagine I'm going to stop work, although I have no plans to. I kind of like what I do, and you know what I mean? That's a good place to be, so we'll see. But maybe people won't pay me anymore for what I like to do, and so then I'm going to have to have some money saved, so I'm trying to save and 
Personal stuff is like, uh, I want to be closer to my kids. You know, my kids are older. And I have, uh, you know, my oldest son, Nico. And I was inspired by, uh, by Marty's relationship with his son, Ben. He speaks to his son every single Thursday. Ben's in his mid-30s, lives, of course, and has lived for a long time. Maybe almost as long out of the house as in the house at this, at this point. And so... You know, I was inspired by that, and my middle son, Jake, is at UCSD, and I'm like, you know, we don't talk very much anymore. Why don't we set a time every week to talk? So this year, we set a time every Tuesday around 11 o'clock. I call him, we talk. It's like, okay, be closer to Jake now. Uh, Nico, my oldest son, like, tonight is the uh, awards, right? The awards, what awards is it? Academy Awards, thank you. I could not care less about them, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not humanly possible for me to care less about anything else in this world than that. However, my son likes them. So, for the last five years, Nico and I have gone over to Reese's house, and Reese, uh, who I think secretly really loves them, right? Right? Maybe not such a big secret. Uh, and his son, uh, watch him, and, and David and Nico are really good friends, so the four of us, you know, we do like these, this contest, and of course, you know, gotta be Reese, right? And so, you know, we're, we all have a contest. There's no prize or anything other than bragging rights that you beat the other person. You with me on that? Why do I do that? I do that because I want to be closer to my son, and so goals, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's funny, as I'm sharing all these, I'm, I, I even have my notes. They do not care about your goals, Rob. Uh, you have different goals, right? You do not care about my goals. And that's okay. You have your own goals, I hope. Uh, I hope you started the year with your own things that you want to achieve and accomplish. And whether you've already like accomplished those things or maybe you're not on track, I think we might share, I hope, we share one goal together. And that is that we want to be closer to God in 2019. Do we share that together? Can, 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 can I hear an amen that we share that together? Some of you, so weak. So weak. We're going to work on you. We're going to work on you throughout this sermon. So over your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Um... I was studying through the book of Romans and I I came across Romans chapter 12, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago and I just kind of dove into it and I found all of these kind of cool things about being close to God in Romans chapter 12. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today will be based in Romans chapter 12. However, if it's okay with you, we're going to go to different scriptures in the Bible, okay? So let your electronic fingers do the walking today. I'm going to give you five ways to be closer to God in 2019. In Glendale, they only got three ways to be closer to God. So if I can get through all five, then you're already considerably better than them. Doesn't that make you feel good? Good. Good. Yes, Larry. Larry's goal to feel better than other people. I get it. Totally get it. Romans chapter 12, a little bit of history in Romans 11 because Paul begins chapter 12 and verse 1 saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So the therefore is, hey, I said all of this stuff in the previous part of my letter 
And because you paid attention to that, now this is what you need to do with it. So what's the therefore? Well, if you go back and read, in particular, Romans chapter 11, Paul is talking about how good the Gentiles have it. Peter, don't the Gentiles have it really good now? Yeah, pretty good, right? (laughs) Paul Paul was saying, and this is just cracking me up, don't matter if you get it or not. Paul was saying to the Gentile church, he's like, look guys, you didn't even have an opportunity to know God. God wasn't even interested really in getting to know you. God had His own people. The Jewish people. Right? And he said because of their failings and misgivings and their mistakes, they got hardened, you got softened, and now you have an opportunity to know God. And then Paul goes on to say, but don't worry, don't get arrogant or prideful about it because you didn't really do anything. You got grafted in. They're the original true vine. And when God wants to restore them, He's going to restore them. Is that a pretty good summary of Romans 11? I don't know that it's a pretty good one, but it's something for you anyway. That's a little context. You can probably see why I didn't get through this in 25 minutes. I haven't gotten to a first point yet. Anyway, I need to get going. Is it quarter two? Is my watch right? Is it quarter two right now? Is that about right? All right. 48. Thank you. All right. So I'm two minutes slow here. Great. Well, just remind me if I'm on, you know, point three and there's five minutes left. So here's what he says in verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 and then hit the first point and kind of go through it. First point is a foundational point. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is intriguing to me. Point number one, be a living sacrifice. That's a lot... I think it's a lot easier than it sounds, but sort of. Here's what I mean by that. This this verse 2 was intriguing to me because probably like you, I pray a lot to know what God's will is in certain areas of my life. Do you ever do that? God, reveal your will. Show me your will. I want to do your will. I want to know what it is. There are certain areas of my, my life I know what God's will is, right? Don't go in this direction. It's wrong. Go in this direction. It's right. But even... Even after 31 years as a Christian, there's plenty of areas in my life where I go, you know, what What do you really want here, Lord? What's the best? Like, it's all potentially good, but what's the best? Where can I serve you the best? What can I do that is the best? And so I just wish, a lot of times, man, I wish I could just know what God's will is. And this verse is like, hey, do you want to know? You can know. You can know. Now, the interesting thing about about being close to somebody is as you get closer to them, you get to know more about them, right? You know, Connie and I have been married, this year will be 30 years we've been married. You know, I'm a lot more clear about what makes her angry than I used to be. You know what I'm saying? Now, let me tell you, the woman, she's a good woman. Easy to get along with. 
right? As evidenced by 30 years with me, right? But truth of the matter is, she knows a lot more about me after 30 years of seeing what my tendencies are, what I like, what I don't like. It is our job and responsibility to be close to God so we can figure out what does He like? What pleases Him? What is His will in our life? This is our responsibility to dig in deep and to figure that out. And we can do it. We have to start with the foundational thing of being a living sacrifice. Any sports fans in here? Come on, sports fans! All right. Swimming, not my favorite sport. However, however, greatest Olympian of all time is Michael Phelps. Greatest Olympian of all time. You want to be inspired by something? YouTube, not right now, but YouTube at some point, Michael Phelps workout routine. Want to know a little bit about it? I'm going to tell you anyway. Somebody shook their head no, I saw that. He swims, or during training for the Olympics, swims eight miles a day. That's to get things rolling. Eight miles a day of swimming. And different kinds of strokes, right? Not the easiest. But he'll do breaststroke, he'll do backstroke, he'll do it all. Within that eight miles of swimming daily. After that, he spends five hours working out directly with a personal trainer and coach that's pushing him and hammering him the whole five hours he's doing it. He eats, listen to this, 12,000 calories a day. That's actually something I could imitate. (laughs) There is one part of his routine I could adapt. I've done it. I've done it. Just so I say it. If you ever wanted to be like Michael Phelps, you can be like him, at least in one area. You know the interesting thing? He's six foot four and weighs 165 pounds, eating 12,000 calories a day. It's not genetics, guys. It's because he's a living sacrifice. And it's what made him the greatest Olympian of all time. You cannot be successful in life without sacrifice. Period. Write it down. Memorize it. You cannot be successful in your life without sacrifice. So why in the world would we think that we could be successful in a relationship with God without sacrifice? Jesus said it from the beginning. Look over in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This is like the beginning with Jesus. This is the early days. Matthew 16. Starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, you know this, He asked His disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? In other words, they weren't really sure even at that point. It hadn't been expressed who Jesus was. Early days. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father 
in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples, don't tell anybody who I am. From that time on, verse 21, from that time, you know who I am, on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers law, and that He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things and concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to all His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow Me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for Me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Right in the beginning, right? From the very beginning. Everything that we want to change in our life requires self-denial and sacrifice, doesn't it? Like I started by sharing my four areas that I want to grow and change in, Right? The, the four areas, in each one I have two or three goals in each area. If I want to save money, I need to sacrifice something to do that. In every one of these areas, like I, I'm on a trajectory. You're on a trajectory, right? Like we're either like doing better and attaining our goal. We're kind of flatlining and not. Maybe we're even on a negative trajectory in, in some area of our lives, right? If I'm not saving any money today, where can I expect to be 12 months from now? Hmm. Tough. Can any college student help me with that? Okay. If I'm spending more than I'm earning today, ooh, where can I expect to be 12 months from now? Yeah, broke. Like the state of California and the federal government. Except worse, because I can't print money. Legally. Do you want to advance in your career? Do you want your trajectory to go like this? Or is it like this? Or is it like that? Do you want it to go like this? What are you willing to sacrifice? Do you want better friendships? You know, they don't grow on trees. Even though we're commanded to love each other, that ain't easy to do. Right? You've got to sacrifice something for your friendships to go from here to here. Lose weight? Same thing. Get in better shape? Right? Whatever. How about go to heaven? Like that's the one that requires nothing? Like the greatest thing ever? Eternal life? Glory? A glorious new body? The great No sacrifice needed there. Jesus did it all. Thank you, Jesus. He did do it all. And then He said, now come and follow Me. 
Come and follow. This is the foundation. So when I talk about living sacrifice, the other four things I'm going to share about all require us to like, like be willing to take on this attitude. Are you guys with me on that? Several people are like, really Marty, you had to have him speak today? It's just my quiet time. I mean, yeah, imagine how bad it is being me reading this stuff and thinking about it. So number two, let's go on to number two. That's the foundation. we got to be a living sacrifice. You can't achieve anything worth achieving in life unless you're willing to sacrifice something. That's just the way it is. Number two, we need to renew our minds. By the way, I don't know that there's any real revelatory thing I'm going to give you today. I know, I hate that. I said it already, so some of you can check out, right? You're like, ah, nothing new. Ah! We need to renew our minds. Go back to Romans chapter 12. I'll read verse 1 again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, how good we have it because of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This, um, this pattern of the world thing has always intrigued me. Because, you know, I think at face value you can look at it and it's like, okay, you know, don't conform to... like. People are sinful, and, and so don't conform to the sinfulness of, of the world, right? I mean, that's, that's the surface level, right? That's the boats right on top of the surface. But Paul could have said that, right? Because he, he says that plenty of other places in the Bible, right? He says, hey, you used to live like this when you were in darkness. Now you need to stop living that way, stop sinning, and you need to live this way, right? Stop being sexually immoral and start being pure. He says that in plenty of other places, but he doesn't say that here. He says here instead that you need to no longer be conformed to the pattern of the world. Isn't that interesting? And so what is the the pattern of the world? I think there are a number of patterns, but the one that I see that is just so prevalent is the pattern of negativity in the world. In the last 20 years, they've done hundreds of studies about the news. And they found it's not just Donald Trump, but actually all news for as long as they've been keeping track, 90% of which is negative. 90% of it's wars, famine, storm alert 2019, flood alert. Right? 90% of all the news that we consume is negative. Why is that? Well, our brains, come to find out, have a negative bias. Do you know that the people that make the news are more interested in your viewership, you watching, than they are really in whether something's true or not? Why? Because that's how they make money. Statistically, far more newspapers are bought, far more magazines are bought, Far more radio is listened to. Far more television is watched when the stories and the headlines are negative. 
We vote with our wallets that this is what we want to see. But as Christians, do we want to conform to this pattern of the world? I don't think so. And you can say, well, it's our amygdala, right? Right? It's because of you know all those years running from saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths that now we're just always on alert. Right? Looking. Because, man, we're about to be attacked and eaten in the wild. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's our sinful nature. Maybe. I don't know. But I know that our minds have a negative bias and is it a pattern that if we don't renew our minds towards something positive, towards our relationship with God, then guess what? Man, we're going to go down the wrong path. It shouldn't be surprising to us when we go week after week after week without like steady prayer time or great time in the Word of God that we all of a sudden start seeing things to be negative about in the church. Right? Like all of a sudden, your eyes have been opened. Wow! You received a revelation from the Lord that things aren't perfect. And you got that because you stopped spending time with Him. How about that? You guys, I know I'm being facetious, right? But that not that the way it works? I mean, isn't that the way our minds work? When you're focused on the negative, baby, you're going to find it. Look in Mark chapter 1. You know, Jesus dealt with negativity. He dealt with a lot of negativity. And He really had a hard schedule. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed Jesus' schedule. Look at, let's look at a day in the life of Jesus. Right? What a day. This is in one day. Verse 21, Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum. How'd they get there? Oh, they took Uber. No, they had to walk there. Right? They had to walk. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went in the synagogue, and what did He do? He began to teach. You know, that takes some juice out of you doing that. The Bible were amazed, the, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, <laughs> a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Imagine that someone just stood up and cried that out about me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would be very uncomfortable if Larry stood up and cried out some kind of nonsense, right? Very uncomfortable. Jesus says, be quiet. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, came out with a shriek. People were amazed. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Verse 29, he's not done. As soon as they left the synagogue, same day, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was sick, in bed with a fever. They told Jesus about her. So He went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Good. Another helper, at least in the house there, to make some dinner or, or help out with Jesus because He's about to get busy again. That evening after sunset... The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. So in other words, somebody let out where Jesus was going to be. Right? Somebody gave them Simon's address and said, Hey, Jesus is going to be here. you got to come check him out. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. 
I don't know how late that went, but I'm saying if the whole town showed up at the door, probably went pretty late, don't you think? That's a long day. Do you think Jesus dealt with some negativity? I don't know. Have you ever dealt with a demon and it was positive? You ever have a positive experience with a demon? Not me. Not me. Right? So Jesus dealing with demons all day long. What about sick people? I'm not a very good caregiver. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I want to be a better one because it's about being loving. But you know what? Dealing with people all around you that are sick, is that hard? Better believe it. She's the only one who has his act together in this whole story. Well, what's he do the next day after this long, arduous, difficult, painful day? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Right? Again? Like, really? Again? Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Because that's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus made His relationship with the Father a massive priority. Didn't He? I mean, didn't He? Is it easy to every single day spend time reading the Word of God and in prayer? Is that easy for anybody here? Raise your hand if that's just so easy for you. I know some of us are more disciplined than others. Now, I've been a Christian 31 years. I became a Christian in the campus ministry. After that, after that, I did remain a Christian in the campus ministry. After that, I was a single in the church. My girlfriend was a single in the church. And I was a Christian. And I had to have quiet times then. Then I was a young married without kids. Right? Had to have quiet times, read my Bible and pray then. Then I had kids. I thought I was busy as a single. No. Thought I was busy as a college student. And I paid my way through college. So I worked full time and went to college. Thought I was busy. No. Married with young kids? Oh man. You know what I've learned? You may be in different stages of your life and you'll go through different stages and God willing, you'll go from all the way to from the teen ministry all the way to, you know, what do we call the elder? We have an what's the elderly ministry now? The the past timers. You know, the overtimers, whatever it is. You go all the way there, right? And God willing, you'll get all the way there and guess what? If you want to be close to God, you need to spend time with him every day and renew your mind. So I'll say say it plainly. If you're not spending daily time with God, you need to get past that. And repent. How can you be close to God without spending time with Him every day? It's hard enough to be close to Him when you spend time with Him every day. We've got to renew our minds. How am I doing on time? Doing pretty good? You have no idea. I've got three more points to go. They could be even longer than that one. Alright, number three. Oh, you're going to love this one. Stop complaining and focus on gratitude. You'll love that one. <laughs> Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm 
want to go back, by the way, at the end uh, to Romans. And I'm going to show you all these things in Romans chapter 12, which is cool because Paul actually covers all this stuff in Romans 12. We all have people in our lives who at times they go through hard things and, and they complain every time we ask them how they're doing, right? You ever have anybody that in your, like that in your life? If not, might be you. So just so I say it, right? <laughs> might want to ask those of your family and friends. Maybe, maybe it's you if you don't think you have anybody like that in your life. We all go through that. We can tend to be negative when we're going through hard times, right? This is why people love dogs way more than they love cats, right? Because cats, they offer no real love and affection, right? I know some of you are cat lovers, and okay, well, you know... If you had a dog, you'd love them way more than a cat, I promise. I mean, right? Bob, my dog Bob, I can't share a message without talking about my dog Bob. I mean, if I had one PowerPoint slide, it'd be a picture of Bob. That's all be right up there. This morning, I took out the garden. I spent the whole morning with Bob. When I get out of bed, and I got out at a quarter to five this morning, when I got out of bed, he comes with me. Follows me all around, right? We have a whole routine, which room we go to, what I do, when I make my coffee, when I feed them, the whole routine. We spend the whole morning together. It's about 8.45 after being together from 4.45. What do I do? I take out the garbage, right? I take the garbage out of the bag. I bring it around the house. I put it in the garbage can. I walk back in. Bob is so happy to see me. It's like I had been gone a week. Dad, i got so much to tell you about the last 30 seconds you missed. Right? He's so happy. He's all me, licking me. Right? Your cat doesn't do that, by the way. Cat doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Cat looks at you like, you again? We need to focus on... On gratitude, on the things we're grateful for. Look in Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, listen to this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Wow. There's that pattern of the world again. Paul actually links the idea of working out our salvation with fear and trembling to grumbling and complaining. There's actually... Like, as I studied this a little bit, and I'll show you another verse, there's actually like a pretty good argument in the Bible that, that complaining and grumbling is like a major sin in God's eyes. You know what I mean? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I mean, sometimes we need to be told it's a sin, so we'll really work on it, right? We think it's just a bad habit that we have. Or we think it's just because we do it when we're going through hard times. It's more than that. 1 Corinthians 10. 
I mean, let, let, me, let me give you a little background. Let, let's read from verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, what what is he saying here in the first five verses? He's saying, guys... You were baptized into Christ. Well, guess what? The Jews were baptized into Christ. They were baptized into Moses, right? And, and you eat your spiritual food. And you spend time with God. And guess what? The Jews do too, right? The, the people that, that crossed the desert, they did too. And then Paul said, and guess what? God wasn't happy with almost all those jokers. That, I mean, that, do you see the comparison that Paul's making or is it just me? Right? And then what does he say? Listen to this. He gives us a trifecta of major sin that God punished says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry of all things. Okay, kind of kidding about the revelry. I don't know all of what revelry is. It's bad. Really bad. Terrible. Do not indulge in revelry. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died. Okay, getting serious. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Okay. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. I mean, what a comparison. Like, he gives this trifecta of sin. Revelry. Right? If the church were involved in revelry, whatever all of that is, we'd probably go, wow, not a good church, right? Church full of revelry. If the church were involved in sexual immorality, right? We'd go, wow, I mean, there needs to be some serious repentance there. And he says, oh, and, and the complaining and grumbling? He adds it right in the same mix as those... Those other things. What did Jesus do? Maybe we just, right, whenever we face something like this, we go back and say, okay, we don't want to be like that, right? So what what should we be like? Isn't it great that we have the evidence of a perfect man, the Son of God who lived and who suffered terribly, far more than any of us ever will, and we have His example of how to live. Look with me over to Luke chapter 22. And let's talk about what Jesus did. I love this. Do you guys remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? What did He have to feed the 5,000? Not much, right? couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, something like that. Now, if you had to feed 5,000 people and were given a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, would your first response be, thank you, God? I mean, in a non-sarcastic way. But but what did Jesus do? You know the verse. He, He immediately broke the bread and He gave thanks to God. One of Jesus' closest friends died. His name was Lazarus. 
Remember that story? Jesus spends several days going. He gets there to see Lazarus. And they're all what? Weeping. Crying. In fact, it so moved Jesus that what did He do? He wept. His friend had died. And and the sisters of His friend, Mary and Martha, what did they say? They were a little upset. Jesus, if you were here, He'd still be alive. Right? And what's the first thing that Jesus does in front of the tomb? You may not know, but you can probably assume based on what I'm saying, He gives thanks to God. When the leaders rejected Him, and the simple, the prostitutes, the sinners came, do you know what Jesus did? He gave thanks. Lord, thank You. He always saw the positive. This is the ultimate case. Starting in verse 14 of Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table. And He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, what did He do? He gave thanks. And He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then He took the bread. And what did He do? He gave thanks. And He broke it and He gave it to them saying, this is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Is that amazing? Who is He sitting with? Well, Peter who would deny Him three times. Judas who was about to betray Him and turn Him over. All the disciples who would scatter. And He knows He's about to suffer the worst possible thing He had had been prepared for as best He could. And what's He doing? He's saying, you know what? Man, I have have so eagerly desired. Because I know that on the other side of this, the next time I drink the fruit of the vine, it's going to be in heaven. The next time I take bread, it's going to be in heaven. He was so focused on the positive. He was looking for a reason to be grateful. Instead, for a re- instead of a reason to complain. Is that cool? Yeah. Now, I don't know what you're going through. You don't know all of what I'm going through. But I know you're going through stuff. And I don't ever want to lighten it. And I certainly don't want to ever <laughs> minimize the pain that somebody feels. But nobody will experience this. And if Jesus, our example and our Lord can have an attitude of gratitude in the face of this, then so should we. Amen? We've got to stop complaining and focus on what it is to be grateful for. Alright, i got two more to go. And i got like eight minutes. Is that right? Okay, I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give them to you just in case. Is that alright? Number four is you have to love others by using your gifts. And number five is you need to share your faith. Love others by using your gifts. Look in 1 John chapter 4 with me. Hold your finger there for a moment. 1 John 4. Every month, twice a month, I do an office meeting with my staff, uh, some, of, some of whom are disciples and most are not. And I usually teach something that I want them to work on that I'm working on myself. Like, uh, I didn't tell Marty this, I don't think. But, uh, you know, he did his lessons from Rephidim. Remember that? Yeah. Great, great lesson. 
I took that and made some adjustments. I don't use the Bible because I don't want to get arrested by the California Thought Police. So, so you know, I but I used the biblical principles and I taught that stuff, right? Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, and, and it was great. I mean, people loved it because the, the points that were made were very applicable to life. And so, so I, I've been studying at that time 1 Corinthians because I moved on from Romans and started into 1 Corinthians. And I was going through 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And so I shared with them something that I'm working on. I said, you know, I, I really feel like... <laughs> you're going to go, okay, Rob. I really feel like I'm a loving person. Like, I like people. I like to fellowship. I, I like people. I, it's not hard. I am outgoing by nature. And yet, when I get behind the wheel of a car, there is nothing but enemies on the road. Right? There's fools and idiots all around me. It's true. And that may be you. I'm sorry. It's not something I'm proud of. I told him this is something that I am working on. And I said, here's the thing that you have to understand that that I'm working on. I see this as unloving. Because I would never treat a person face-to-face the way I treat people on the road. I should have been a race car driver. I really missed my calling because then you can treat people like that. It's just part of your job. Maybe an Uber driver, I could do that. Maybe that would work. So I I shared this with the staff and... We had, a, we had a great meeting because there are lots of people that complain and lots of people, right? When you're working with clients, people are going to complain. So I just shared, hey, this is, this is something we need to try to change from the heart. Not just the customer's right, because many times customer's not right. But we need to change from the heart be loving, right? So the next day, I'm driving to work. The next day. I'm driving to work, and I'm <laughs> I'm going from California to Hill, and and Hill is one lane, and then becomes two lanes. Anybody know where this is? And this is around the time that PCC is going, and so hey, it may only be two miles, but it's a harrowing two miles. I got to go to work. All right. So I'm going, and everybody's in the left lane because they want to turn left. So I normally go in the right lane, and I go around all these people. So there's this young guy in a car, and he wants to, he wants to get out, and I wanted to go around him because I was going to keep going straight. So I wasn't going to let him out, and he cuts me off. But he knew I wasn't going to let him out. So he did something very interesting. He started swerving between both lanes to not let me by. And he went really slow, so I missed the light. Forgive me for this. I'm 54 years old, okay? I'm not going to fight anybody. But I pull right up next to him and I just glare at him. And he's looking at me. And I said, I lift, I said, <laughs> I said, nice driving, dumbass. And I was like, I'm sorry. Chris said one thing about the lesson, don't curse. I'm sorry. It's not really a curse word, right? Dumb bass, right? Bass the fish. And I just stared him down until he looked away. But as soon as I said that, I was just convicted in my soul. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. I mean, this is so, like, like horrible. I mean, honestly. In fact, as he drove away, I tried to catch up to him to apologize. Honest to goodness. Honest to God. <laughs> he 
Maybe he didn't think that. I don't know. But I really, I wanted to apologize. I wanted to say, I am so sorry. That is the wrong thing. I, honest to goodness, I was, I was convicted by that. I'm like, this is just not. It's not right. It's not loving. I would not do that to somebody who cut me off going into an elevator. You know what I mean? Right? If someone gets in front of me in the elevator, I don't just glare at them and go, dumbass. Right? It's horrible. You don't treat people that way. Don't use this language at home, children. Or out on the road. I'm, I'm just being really honest with you. So, Sorry, Chris. You asked me to do one thing. <laughs> one thing you asked me to do. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. In, in, in the second part of verse 16, it says, God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. Verse 19, he says, We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And He's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother or sister. Look with me really quick over Romans chapter 12 again. Romans 12. How do you do that? How do you do that within the church? You have to use your gifts. I'm probably not going to get to the fifth point. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they didn't get the fourth point over at, uh, over at Glendale, so there you go. You guys are better. You're better, Bobby, than they are. You got to see me make a fool of myself up here too, so there you go. It says in verse 3, for the, by, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is preaching, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. We have gifted preachers here. Marty Fuquay, one of my favorite preachers of all time. I get to hear him almost every week. Reese Nealon as well. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, then do it generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What are your gifts? Do it. Give your gift. Do it. Guess what? Just because it's a gift doesn't mean you don't have to work at it. Because if it was a gift and and Paul didn't have to tell you, do it, then... It would go without saying. We got the gift and it happens automatically. It doesn't happen like that. If your gift is to lead, you need to lead. If your gift is to give, you should do it generously. If your gift is to encourage, you need to come to church ready to encourage people. And if you don't, you're holding back your gift. You're not loving. You're not loving. We need to love each other by using our gifts. You can read for yourself Philemon verse 6. Philemon is only one chapter. Why do we share our faith? Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When you share your faith, when I share my faith, I get closer to God. I read the Bible differently. I understand things differently. When we study the Bible with somebody else, we're convicted. 
Right? When we share our lives, we're reminded of how good we have it. The Spirit of God rejoices within us when we share our faith. This is what I got for you today. We got to go. I think I'm right on time. You guys are great. Thanks for bearing with me. Uh, Have a great day.